think about when it comes to the Psalms is to pay attention to their form as poetry. Uh, the Psalms are poems, which means they're different kind of literature than we're typically accustomed to reading and thinking about. It's not going to be like reading a novel or reading the front page of your favorite uh, newspaper or blog post. These are, these are poems, which means it's going to take some time to wrestle with the language. You're going to have to slow down, pay attention to the words, and realize that part of that frustration of slowing down to figure it out is part of what poetry does. That's what poetry is, and that's what poetry offers to literature and to the study of literature that a blog post or a front page of a newspaper or a novel doesn't. So that poetic function of poetry that calls attention to itself, that causes us to slow down, is a crucial aspect of all poetry and should be respected and acknowledged and appreciated in the Psalms. Second thing to think about with reference to the poetry of the Psalms is the, is the parallelism that marks Hebrew poetry. This is the way two, sometimes three lines relate to each other. And the parallelism between lines is a common mark of Hebrew poetry and lots of Semitic poetry. It has come into other types of poetry as well, including English poetry, partly through the influence of the Bible. But the way these lines relate to each other means that they say something similar uh, they relate a thought that is sometimes identically portrayed between the two lines, sometimes oppositely portrayed, or sometimes continued in some sort of synthetic way between the two or, or three lines. But together the lines say one thing. So we could illustrate it with Psalm 1. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Those little three lines about the, the, the bad people, the, the wicked and the sinners and the disrespectful, those are all in parallel. And the happy person doesn't do those things. And each of those words describe, the, uh, the, describe the, the wicked people, the wicked, the sinners, the disrespectful. They're all different, but the gist of verse 1 of Psalm 1 is, is not the niceties between those three categories, but rather the one thing that those three lines say. And that one thing is don't spend time with those people, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> wicked, uh, disrespectful sinners. They are the people to be avoided, even as the poetry also suggests that it's hard to do that. So parallelism says one thing, even if it says it in opposite ways between the two lines or the same way in the two lines. Poetry also traffics heavily in metaphor and imagery, and this occurs in other types of literature, but especially in poetry, and so the Psalms are full of rich poetry and metaphor that needs to be luxuriated in, not, not sped over too quickly. In Psalm 1, the, the righteous are like a tree transplanted by streams of water. And one should pause on that and think about why the tree and why transplanted why tran who transplanted it, right? These are the questions that arise when you think hard about an image and a metaphor. And what about the wicked who are like chaff that the wind blows away? They're a, a, a transient, fluid metaphor. This has no security versus the tree that's transplanted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither and everything it does, it prospers. So imagery and metaphor. And, and another thing on the poetry is just the, the nature of most poetry in the Bible, and particularly Psalms, as episodic in nature or, or lyric. It's not narrative poetry. It doesn't tell a story like the grand narrative poems of the Iliad or the Odyssey. It's, it's, not, it's not dramatic poetry like Shakespeare's Hamlet or, or whatnot. It's, it's more like a sonnet. It's the lyric or episodic poetry, which means it's a snapshot of life. The psalm can't tell everything because it's only 
12 verses or 14 or 16. So it takes a particularly poignant snapshot of the world and it's compelling if that image is completely compelling. Uh, but one maybe shouldn't press the image too far. So in terms of someone, in everything the righteous do, they prosper. Well, really, in everything, everything they do prospers? You don't have to read very far in the psalm to know that sometimes the righteous don't prosper. They seem to fail to thrive, and it's the wicked who seem to prosper. And in fact, the psalmist laments that and complains about it. So the image is a compelling image, but it's just a compelling image for Psalm 1, and you have to keep reading and find out how the rest of the Psalter also talks about this. You see when you do that that Psalm 1 is really a claim of faith, uh, not necessarily always of experience because the psalmist clearly says that these other aspects of life with, as a righteous person aren't always hunky-dory. And in fact, the only people who are always happy in the psalms are the wicked, according to Psalm 72. So paying attention to the poetry is crucial. And paying attention to the different types of psalms. There's lots of different types. There's 150 psalms, but not 150 different types of psalms. Big three types of psalms. There's more than this, but the big three are laments and hymns of praise and songs of thanksgiving. The psalms are to be especially treasured because of these laments. Uh, we all kind of know hymns of praise and songs of thanksgiving that would give thanks to God for redemption or delivery, but the laments are something that we really need, but we're often sometimes uh, ashamed to admit that we need them or maybe we shy away from them, but they're the deep longing and grief and rage-filled psalms like, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Or how long, how long, how long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? These are these deep, gut-wrenching cries that were included in the psalms just like every other type of psalm, which means that the psalms know, and God and God's wisdom who gave us the psalms, knows that these two are part of the life of faith and that the laments, the cries of rage, the complaints to God are no less pious, no less righteous, no less a part of the right kind of life with God than our hymns of praise and songs of thanksgiving. So the laments are crucial to our souls and should not be neglected. And if even Jesus doesn't live his life without quoting the laments, which he did from the cross, Psalm 22, then who are we to think we would live our lives without needing that, that deep grief in that emotionally candid material that's found there.